entrepreneurs and business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're also giving back to the community, and so can you. Welcome to Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking to make the most of yourself and your business, then you will want to stay tuned for the next hour. Here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper of chriscooper.co.uk. I'm absolutely delighted to be back with you again for uh, another episode. And we're going to be talking today about the diversity advantage with my guest, Lenora Billings-Harris. But before we speak to Lenora, I'd love to thank my guest last week, Jeremy Nicholas. He was talking with me about how to engage and entertain more in business. And I completely share his view that the more engaging and appropriately entertaining we are with people and when we interact with them, uh, the more likely uh, they will develop a relationship with us and uh, potentially buy from us. It all makes really good business sense. And this week, I've spoken with many diverse ranges of people, and I'm, I'm sure you have as well. Uh, just in the last week, I've been watching footballers at my local club in Leicester City with my son and through to incredible Russian performers with the Moscow State Circus. Been in lots of client meetings, coaching clients. I've been in rooms of speakers. I've worked in a private central London business club. I've been learning how to manage parkland, believe it or not, with uh, and meeting local craftsmen. Been spending time with a party of school children at a charity, and I'm now I'm engaging with you and uh, Lenora Billings Harris. I'm thinking about your week. Then you know, perhaps you'll agree that diversity is all around us. But how do we really harness that diversity for business advantage in a workplace? My guest today, Lenora Billings-Harris, says a diverse workforce can assist organizations in their efforts to penetrate emerging markets, attract and retain the best talent, improve customer relations, and reduce employee complaints and grievances. All of these challenges and opportunities have strong bottom line implications. Whether through keynotes, workshops, or organizational consulting, Lenora Billings-Harris partners with her clients to help them build really effective relationships that leverage diversity in order to increase inclusion, in order to to engage with employees, for customer satisfaction, and as I mentioned, bottom line results. She's been included as one of the 100 global thought leaders on diversity and inclusion by the Society of Human Resource Management, and was named by Diversity Woman magazine as one of the top 20 uh, most influential diversity leaders in the US. Lenore co-authored Trailblazers, how Top Business Leaders Are Accelerating Results Through Inclusion and Diversity, and she's the author of The Diversity Advantage, A Guide to Making Diversity Work. She's now in its third edition. She's often an expert guest on TV and radio around the globe. She's a certified speaking professional, a CSP, which um, I can assure you is a very uh, high accreditation in the world of speaking. And not only that, she's a past president of the National Speakers Association. And I think the organization is about 3,000 people, and to lead that with all the different... Uh, Impressive characters and professionals that are part of that body is really something. And in 2014, she was president of the Global Speakers Federation. So let's now explore diversity and how to fully value, leverage and engage it with our exceptional diversity expert, uh, Lenora Billings-Harris. Welcome, Lenora. Hi, Chris. I'm thrilled to be with you today. Uh, Wonderful to uh, chat to you. you Whereabouts are you in the the United States? Uh, I am in Greensboro, North Carolina which uh, from a geography perspective for those who don't live in the States, it's two states south of Washington, D.C. So immediately south is Virginia, and then North Carolina comes next. Wonderful. I'm, I'm imagining uh, there's some, uh, some nice nice beaches and warm weather in the summer. 
yes, there there are beautiful beaches and there are also great mountains. And unfortunately, unfortunately, I live right in the middle of the state, which is not close to either one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit like me. I think I'm about as far from the sea as you can just about get in the middle of England. Um, so, Lenore, do you want to tell us a bit about your your upbringing and why diversity is just such an important subject for you personally? Thank you for asking that question. You know, I, I don't give that thought very often. And um, I, when I do think about how did I get to where I am now from a perspective of um, choosing the area of focus of diversity and inclusion, I really have to give credit to my grandfather. I was raised by my grandparents um, in in the early years of my life from age two to age 10. And I remember very clearly having arguments with him uh, as a little girl when he would every now and then say something that I thought was not inclusive. Now, of course, we didn't even use those words back then, but I had a healthy dialogue about things that he might say. And the things he said weren't necessarily biased or bigoted. They were do this because you know, this is really going to protect you and you'll be more successful in the world, including who I should fall in love with. (laughs) And so I think that's where the real start was. But then early in my career, I had in my corporate career, I had an opportunity to work for General Motors. And in my mid-20s, being female, African-American and young, I flew all over North America teaching dealership owners how to run their business. Now, I didn't think it was a diversity issue back then, and and it still was early enough that we didn't use that term in the workplace, but um, the piece that I had left out is back in the mid-70s, which is when this was, my class was filled with middle-aged, white, rich guys, and so there I was, so different from them, and I I recognized that just showing up and being authentically who you are whatever package you come in is what can help you be successful. So with those two things as a backdrop, and then when I started my my speaking business uh, and was trying to figure out what my area of focus would be, I, I ran away from diversity, quite frankly, but then started going to South Africa. And that's where everything changed for me. And I became very clear that I was put on this planet to do this work. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It's funny you mentioned South Africa. So you mentioned before the break that you were running a summit on Robin Island. And, uh, you know, uh, something I will never, ever forget is standing in Nelson Mandela's um, former cell in, mm-hmm. on Robin Island and uh, walking around the quarry and that sort of thing. And, you know, it really brings it home to you, doesn't it? Yeah, it absolutely does. And th- this uh, summit is quite life changing. This will be our second. And we hope to do one each uh, year, we're one of the very, very few uh, groups that are allowed to stay on the island overnight. So our summit is two and a half days. So the participants will stay on the island for two nights, which is just does not, that permission is not granted to very many people. So we feel very privileged to be able to do that. And people do come away uh, truly being touched at a very deep level, in addition to the things they, they learn uh, in regards to being a better leader. Oh, wonderful. That sounds, that sounds fantastic. And we'll give you a website out at the end um, so you can uh, find out, I'm sure, more about that. Um, so how did you go on and develop yourself and career to you know, becoming the president of the National Speakers Association? I know, I know, you know being involved with the Speaking Association in the UK, that is a really, really big deal. And then also the Global Speakers Association. Um, well, with the 
with the National Speakers Association, uh, I joined that organization in 1988, and I already had been in business for two years and discovered uh, NSA. I used to live in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, or right outside of Phoenix, and literally their headquarters was five miles away from my house, but I had never heard of them. And I was busy doing what I was doing, and um, this was well before the internet, and so someone who was a member uh, kept convincing me I really should join, and uh, eventually I did. Well, what then began to happen uh, over time is that uh, leaders that I respected uh, who were much more accomplished than I, uh, kept convincing me or kept trying to, to convince me that I should step into leadership or at least give it serious thought. And I do believe that to be really good in your profession, whatever that profession is, you need to be a member of your profession's association and, and learn from it and then also pay it forward. I don't like the term pay it back or, you know, out of, it sounds out of obligation, but I really think that we should be involved in that way. So a past president had convinced me that I should be a chapter president. And uh, so I ran for that and, and then won. And several years later, another national past president convinced me that I should come on the National Speaker Association board. And I, I really was never thinking about being president, but just wanted to serve. So I, I um, eventually uh, was elected onto the National Speaker Association board. And then as they say, the rest was history. Eventually then I became president of NSA in 2006, 2007. So with the Global Speakers Federation, uh, I speak globally, although that is not the prerequisite because the Federation is a group now of 12 associations around the world. We just welcomed our newest association, which is in Brazil. And so we have 12 associations around the world and the Federation brings them all together so that all those leaders can learn from one another. And then uh, as an aside, it's also wonderful because those of us who speak internationally can more easily connect with each other. So I got involved with that because of what it stood for. And then once again, people said, you really should think about uh, giving at the highest level. And, um, you know, those processes, Chris, don't happen overnight. You, you become vice president and then president-elect and then president. So it's, it's quite a commitment, mm -hmm. but it has enriched my life so much. I think I certainly have gotten more from it than I've been able to give. And I stepped down from being GSF president, the federation president, in July of this year. That's, uh, and those are wonderfully big things. And, and as you say, big, big in terms of giving your time. So it's... Uh, it's lovely to hear that actually you've been getting a lot of, you've got a lot of value from that as well. Um, so, uh, you know, you have my full respect for having just been a regional president of the Speaking Association in the UK and even that I knew took up a lot of work yeah, yes. and energy. Yes. So what, um, let's move on to diversity because I mean, I know there's a huge amount of diversity in those associations, which is, uh, you know, and again, another great reason why. Um, you are a wonderful person to talk about diversity, but what is it in the workplace? And, and also, I think just maybe we should clear up for people. Does it relate to, say, you know, equal employment opportunity, which is something mentioned regularly? Yes, yes. It's, and it's a question I frequently get, especially when I'm delivering uh, uh, workshops or um, at a reception before I'm going to be speaking uh, as a keynote 
uh, speaker, that kind of thing. And people do get it confused. So, you know, for those folks that don't concentrate on this 24-7 like I do, equal employment opportunity, no matter whether it's in the here in the United States or in the UK or South Africa or anywhere else in the world, typically the equal employment opportunity is government related, uh, regulated. So there are there are rules and regulations that businesses must follow, and it's and it sets a minimum standard. the The intention is that businesses, you know, whatever they whatever the criteria are on, on what size business you are, to, you have to be to follow these uh, regulations. The intention is that everyone, regardless of their packaging, that's the way I like to describe it, to include all types of diversity. But everyone, regardless of their packaging, will have an opportunity to be employed. And so it is compliance related, which means there's lots of paperwork and all of that type of thing. And what I have found in doing this work globally is that no matter where I am, people are usually not real excited about anything related to EEO because because of the compliance aspect. You know, mm-hmm. we don't like being told that we have to do things. And so there are a lot of myths and, and um, uh, stereotypes that come up as a part of that. Now, as I say it, please understand, or my listeners, the, your listeners to understand, that it certainly does serve a purpose because to, to move a whole culture, a whole society forward, there needs to be some minimum level of uh, requirements in order that people that have employable skills can be uh, employed. So that being said, uh, folks don't necessarily like to uh, have to do all the paperwork and follow those rules. And so the myth becomes certain people got hired simply because they're a woman or they're a person of color or, you know, the list goes on and on, which is unfortunate both for the business as well as the individual, because the reality is, of course, that happens, but it also happens with white men. So, but we don't think about it that way. And, um, and so there's a lot of negativity around EEO, even though it's a kind of a necessary evil. On the other side of that, however, is diversity and inclusion. And diversity by itself just means difference. And when businesses just bring people on board because they're different, they really often create more challenges than they then they create opportunities for solutions. So there's another piece that must be connected, and that's the inclusion piece. When businesses understand that diversity simply means people plus mixtures, you know, mean the mixtures of people, then they, they partner that with inclusion, or otherwise known as engagement, when we get people who are different engaged with each other, working effectively with each other, respecting each other as individuals, then we can absolutely prove that organizations that are diverse and have a respectful work environment are more profitable, are more innovative, their teams are more productive. So the key is diversity and inclusion comes from a business focus. There's no such thing as a diversity rule, a diversity law. It comes from a business focus where businesses recognize that doing this will help them attract the best talent, retain the best talent, and get the best results, where EEO and affirmative action really focuses more on government compliance. We've just got a couple of minutes till we go to commercial break, but I'm just wondering, there you mentioned about uh, 
having a, a diverse workforce and you know is just having a diverse workforce enough no, no definitely not <laughs> um because just having diversity causes people to come together who don't know and understand each other so organizations are the workplace is the one place where you can have open safe conversations about diversity and inclusion that is through workshops primarily uh, where you can have those safe conversations so that you can ask the quote-unquote dumb questions and and learn about people different than you and then you see them as individuals so just diversity by itself is not enough but you want to create that environment where people move beyond groups to individuals get to know each other and then work effectively Wonderful. We're going to go to commercial break now, and after the break, we're going to we're going to start talking about some of the things we really need to understand when it comes to diversity and how to really um, start to leverage it. So we're we'll back again with you in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be, or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kurt Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, it's Chris Cooper. I'm with Lenora Billings-Harris. We're talking about the diversity advantage. And uh, Lenora, I I wonder, you know, why, from your perspective, is diversity just so important for the workplace? And I don't want to sound sort of callous with this question, but, you know, why should we care about it? 
<laughs> the reality is I get asked that question. So why should we care? Or actually the way I get often asked it is why should I care? You know, whoever the person is that's speaking. Mm. And, and the fact of the matter is we spend more time at work than anywhere else. And so if we go to work, assuming that everyone thinks like we do, then we create challenges for ourselves that doesn't really need to be there. If, on the other hand, we go to work recognizing that even people that may kind of look like us, you know, be of the same ethnicity, the same gender, maybe even the same age group, that each one of those people, they are a culture of one, meaning there's nobody else quite like them. There's, there's no mixtures uh, that they have that are going to be exactly like yours. So if we, if we look at people that way, then we recognize, well, I probably need to get to know them. Maybe not all their, I don't need to know all their deepest, darkest secrets, but the more I get to know them as a person, as an individual, the more likely I will have a better experience in the workplace. I'll have fewer conflicts and you know, I might actually develop a friendship. So one of the things that I, that I talk about in, the, in, the, in uh, uh, workshops when I deliver them is that, you know, how many of you know the name of the, the uh, janitor or the, uh, you know, someone who, uh, who works in the mail room? Now, sometimes people really know the names of those folks, but many times they see them, but they don't really ever know them. And that person probably has some nuggets of information that would make your job more effective if you just treated them as a full human being, regardless of what their jobs are. So there's, there's advantage to connecting with people that we spend a lot of time with. And then the more you do that in the workplace, the more you're able to accept differences in your community. Mm, Makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I, I ran a, a program, a workshop a couple of weeks ago with a with a team and that including their boss and then their boss's boss and they were a bit nervous about this senior guy coming in with them and actually just asking them the question for a start if they could share two truths and a lie about themselves. Mm-hmm. It, 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 there was so much information came out and you know they found out actually the uh, the, the most senior guy he was his uncle was a very famous racing driver and suddenly you, became, you could see in the eyes of everybody he suddenly became cool. <laughs> it was, yes, yes, it, yeah. Well, just a, a real quick um, a piggyback on that is a workshop I did a couple of weeks ago. We did a similar activity and um, everyone learned, and this is, I guess, why I was thinking janitor uh, in my head. The woman, a woman in the, in the workshop was the janitor for that building and so she shared a couple things about herself, one of which was she had been in the military for 15 years. Well, everybody's mouth dropped because they only, I'll not use a real name, but they only knew her as Susan. Yeah. They, they didn't see that, wait a minute, 15 years in the military, you have some real substance there. And they all treated her so differently afterwards. Mm. Yeah, so, so important. So often people judge people on their current job, don't they? And mm-hmm. not appreciating their their whole history and their background. Exactly. So, how can we leverage uh, this diversity then to really increase uh, success? 
Well, from a from an entrepreneurial perspective, from an individual perspective, the more you understand people different than you, the more you're going to be seen as a leader within your organization. And depending on what your job is, if you have any responsibilities where your job reaches into the community or or globally beyond that, then the more you understand differences in others and and the more you understand unconscious bias, because we all have it, um, the more you understand your own unconscious biases, the more you will then be aware and be able to do your job more effectively. So, for example, what I mean by that is we can leverage diversity uh, in our business when we look at the full marketplace and ask ourselves, you know, am I penetrating every part of the marketplace where I should be? Or am I only going to that part of the marketplace where people are just like me? So, for instance, if there are listeners that are uh, realtors, for example, I, I, I presented to the uh, Realtor Association here in North Carolina, I think it was last year, and they were very interested in the um, reaching the multicultural marketplace program that I do. And I said to them, so so what do your clients typically look like, the people that, that you're helping to uh, uh, find a home or sell a home, and the answer, not surprisingly, were they look pretty much like the realtor. And as well, you know, when we look at the diversity just in our country and how fast the Latino population is growing, how how much the Asian population is growing, when we start to learn about those um, emerging markets and then look at what is the population of them within our own area, then you can see how many more opportunities you might have. And that, that information is reasonably easy to get, um, not just if you're in the, in the U.S., but if you go to your uh, Chamber of Commerce, if you um, just um, Google on, on the Internet for demographics, uh, here in the U.S., check by zip code, you can find that information and, and then ask yourself, well, hmm, do my products and services apply to that group? And if so, why am I not visible with that group? And then once you realize that, then you can go about setting a strategy and, and a plan on getting more engaged with that group. And other, uh, that's a really good, um, you know, really good example of uh, maybe, you know, kind of a, a habit that, a, you know, a great leader who's, um, who really embraces diversity um, could utilize. Are there other habits that you've seen in people who are just really, really good at this? Yes, um, for from a leadership perspective, and when I say leadership, I'm not meaning head of the company only, but team leader, supervisor, whatever level you are, because I really believe that all, all working people are leaders in some way, either at, at their jobs or in their community. And when leaders become more sensitive to diversity, they do several things very well. One is, let's imagine that you're in a team meeting and you are the leader of that meeting and you have men and women in the group and a woman shares an idea. Very often, uh, in, it comes up in my gender communication sessions, uh, men have a tendency to not hear women or to interrupt them. Now, that's, that's not a stereotype. It actually is research proven that it tends to happen quite a bit. And so you're the leader and let's say you're a male. And, well, you are a male, Chris, I understand, but, you know, so let's suppose that you're the leader of the team and um, you see, you know, the so, so Mary shared an idea and nobody picked up on it much. 
And then five minutes later, Jose shared essentially the same idea. What you could do as a leader, Chris, is once Jose finishes his thought, you could say, well, Jose, I'm so glad that you picked up on Mary's idea. Let's talk mm-hmm. about it further. Mm-hmm. So really effective leaders that have a sensitivity to difference and inclusion can do those kinds of things. You're not throwing anybody under the bus, but you're also saying we need to hear everybody at the table and it teaches everyone in the room. Leaders, one of the pieces of advice that I give uh, high level leaders around the issue of diversity and inclusion is um, I will say to them, when you're speaking to your uh, organization, don't just give them numbers. Um, Because most leaders think, well, the way they can show that they value and support diversity and inclusion is they'll say, oh, we hired this many women or we now have uh, a person of color in the board of directors or something along those lines. Uh, Or even they may give market, uh, market penetration figures. Well, those things are all well and good. But what people want to know is what's your personal motivation? And so what I what I um, recommend that leaders do is they allow themselves to be a little bit vulnerable to their employees. That is to say, to tell them very truthfully and very personally why they think diversity is important. Because minds change when colleagues, when people you know share their story. And Chris, you know as a professional speaker that people learn through story, not through statistics. So when leaders share well, my mind got changed or I understood more deeply about diversity because, and their because might be that their son is gay or their daughter is uh, disabled in some way um, or uh, a relative is in a multicultural marriage. My point is it becomes personal. And when they show, you know, now that they've been around individuals who are in some of these quote unquote diverse groups, they see them as, they see them also as individuals. And it says to their employees, this is really the reason because it makes a difference in our personal life. Then they can go to the, the numbers and the charts and all of that kind of thing. Yeah. <clears throat> what um, you know, there's, there's differences in people in terms of, uh, um, you know, race and disability and that sort of thing. But, you know, one thing um, that I've, you know, I'm kind of very mindful of uh, in terms of difference are things like today, a lot of people have tattoos, um, you know, different hair lengths, colors. Um, there's also, you know, obesity, which we, we hear a lot about. Um, what, um, how do you think the employees should approach diversity and these sorts of things, particularly maybe if they're concerned that physical appearance might put their customers off? Yes, yes. Great question. Um, quick anecdote. I told you I used to live in Arizona, and I get back there uh, reasonably often for uh, work, and I walked into the, the coffee shop that was on the campus of Arizona State University, and so I'm dressed in my business attire in a suit, uh, very formally business. And uh, I walk in and I look around and I see so many students that have um, piercings in places that, you know, Mm. 20 years ago, you didn't pierce yourself uh, or visible tattoos. And my first thought, now remember I said, all of us have unconscious bias. So my bias came to the forefront. My first thought was, oh my gosh, 
they're, do they realize they're making a career decision? Because my thought was, oh, there's so many employers that are not going to hire them. And then my next thought was, oh, I'm the one that's different in this coffee shop. So I was the one that stood out because I wasn't wearing blue jeans. I, I didn't have visible piercings, et cetera. So we all are diverse. We all are the ones that are the only one in, in certain situations. But to your point of the employer, uh, what the employer first needs to ask him or herself is, what are the skills, abilities, and talent that we need for that particular job, whatever the job is? And focus on the skills, ability, and talent. Then secondarily, they do certainly have to think about those employees that may uh, be the first face that the customer sees. However, they should not assume that their customer will be offended or want to go somewhere else simply because of how someone looks. Let me give you two quick examples. One would be Starbucks. When you go into a Starbucks coffee shop anywhere in the world, the uh, baristas may have piercings. They may have purple hair. Uh, they, they may look different. When you actually look at the clientele of Starbucks, the clientele doesn't look like that. But Starbucks somehow figured out by looking at the market they wanted to reach that having that type of look is okay in that environment. So they didn't shy away from that, trying to look like their clients. The, the um, second example that, that comes to my mind is uh, the whole idea around obesity, since you asked that one. That, you know, that's, that's one of the last frontiers of diversity and inclusion where people think that it's okay to tell fat jokes or, or call somebody Big Joe when Joe didn't ask to be called Big. Uh, and the, the fact is that we, people may have biases about people being too heavy or too thin, but once again, is it impacting their job? Is it getting in the way of what they need to do? I, I, my, my last um, position uh, in the corporate world was as um, H, an HR director of a, for, a division of a Fortune 500 company. And I knew an individual was not being promoted because of um, her size. And when I went to talk to the, uh, the vice presidents that were responsible for making this decision, we, just, we had a conversation about it. And, and my conversation with them really was more asking questions about who, who in their families or in their, in their um, circles outside of work do they know that might be, that might be overweight. And created that safe environment for them to then say what they thought, which were usually pretty biased, and then say, okay, now let's go back to the skills abilities of this individual. Is this individual exactly like the people that you know? My point is to try to get them to see the person as the individual, because all of us have something that could be better in the way we look or the way we talk or, or whatever. Um, but to hold people back simply because of that difference uh, might not be the smartest thing to do for the organization because they might have that best, uh, that best idea that is exactly what you've been waiting for. But when they are not included, then you don't ever benefit from that idea. 
We've just got about another minute to commercial break, but I'm just wondering, do, do you think it is appropriate for the company, for example, if somebody is very, very overweight to offer to help them in some way? I mean, there's one or two companies who've incentivized people by mm-hmm. gym memberships and competitions, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a wonderful example of for something company Zappos did, shoe company, yes. to help people get fitter and because they were concerned about yeah. their well-being. Yes. Is that appropriate? Well, I, I think it's very appropriate when you're doing it company-wide. You know, because it saves the company money when people are healthy. So, I mean, you know, that makes absolute sense. So you, you, you know, provide these services and, uh, so that uh, employees can get healthy. It, the same company that I just referred to where I used to work, we had a gym on premises. And um, I loved it. I could go in way early in the morning. I'd be right at work. I could work out. And, and I know of many people who did not... Uh, join other organizations because the other organizations did not have that uh, did not have that benefit. Uh, when it comes to the individual, you have to wait for the individual to give you a clue that they want that advice. Uh, or if you're the you know in the healthcare field um, and perhaps uh, in the healthcare field for your organization, or if you're a supervisor, yeah, you would need to address that very. Uh, very carefully, um, but if you really believe that that's getting in the way of their um, advancement, um, it's it is reality. So it's a it's again, what kind of relationship do you have with the individual mm. before you make that uh, kind jump into that kind of conversation? Great. We're going to come back after the break in uh, in just a, a couple of minutes, and we're going to talk about. I'm interested in the as well this diverse difference sometimes between generations, for example, and how they may struggle to get on and how we deal with people globally etc so we're going to be back with some more in just a couple of minutes so do join us when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network hi i'm rebecca costa host of the costa report every tuesday at 6 a.m and again at 6 p.m This week, my guest is outspoken former congressman and one of our country's most prominent gay public figures, Mr. Barney Frank. He'll be with us to talk about the Supreme Court's ruling on DOMA and how the Obama presidency is doing in its second term. Don't miss Barney Frank this Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on the Voice America Business Channel. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. 
Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, it's Chris Cooper with Lenora Billings-Harris. Um, Lenora, I do wonder, you know, with uh, regards to sort of generations, for example, I often see them struggling to get on, whether it's maybe, you know, for parents and children in the business, whether it's the you know younger graduates coming in uh, versus the the people who've been in the business much longer who've seen it before. I mean, why do we often struggle to get on, and what can we do about it? <laughs> well, I, I I think the struggle has been there for a long time. However, this time in our history, or this time that we're living right now, is the first time uh, where at least four generations are in the workplace at the same time. So where the the struggles might have been there in the past, but usually it was outside of the workplace. Um, And now it's in the workplace. And again, the workplace is where we spend the most of our time. So we now have uh, millennials or Gen Y, uh, whichever term you may use, uh, the Gen Xs, the baby boomers and the traditionals all working in the, the workplace together. So what happens is those unconscious biases that I talked about before become conscious and they impact our attitudes and judgments and then our behavior toward one another because our brain wants to make decisions fast. Actually, we call it the fast brain where our our unconscious bias sort of hangs out. And we want to make decisions fast because we got to get through the day. So instead of paying attention to our slow brain, which would be the more analytical part, well, let me see if this really applies to this person. Very often, we don't take time to go to that part of our brain. So what happens is you put a millennial, and by the way, just for the for the listeners, millennials are people who were born between 1982 and, and uh, 2002, 1982 to 2002. So if you put a millennial together with a traditionalists, and that would be someone born between 1925 and 1946, they don't immediately see that they each have something to give the other. The traditionalist has lots of experience that the younger person could learn from. The younger person may have new fresh ideas that the the traditionalists could learn from. We don't go there first. What we tend to do is the traditionalists will assume, will say, oh, you know, those young people, they're so self-focused and they're constantly on their technology and they're lazy. When And the younger person may be assuming that to traditionalists, oh my goodness, they don't even know how to text and they could barely use a computer, you know, and all those things kind of come up. They could be wrong Both of them could be absolutely wrong for the individuals with whom they're working. But when we come up with these biases, when we convince ourselves that these biases are true, 
then we don't explore to get to know the individual. And so I just use two generations. Imagine when you have that going on all the time among all four of those generations, it creates quite a bit of havoc in the workplace because people believe those biases instead of looking at how can we get beyond it? How can I learn from, like say if I'm a baby boomer personally, how might I learn from this millennial? Because I really need to know more about social media or I actually want to learn how to take a selfie. selfie. I can't even say it right. So, you know, I want to learn how to take it better, for instance. But my point is, if we move, if we learn a little bit about each other and we learn that these generations are as they are because of what has happened in their life, you know, there's a reason the millennials are, want everything right now because they've looked at, they've experienced 9-11, whether it was right here in the U.S. or in other part of the world, they were impacted by that. And so they look at, well, why should I think 30 years from now? I might not even be here. Where a traditionalist was the person that went to work every day and assumed they'd be in that one company for 30 or 40 years. That, those values are different, but they're not wrong. And so they have to learn how to communicate more effectively. I thought there was a, a, a wonderful, um, fascinating song. And there was a show that I saw called and Avenue Q. And there was a, a song yes. with everyone's a little bit racist. And yes. I have to say, it wasn't until I sat and watched that that I actually appreciated that I did have some prejudices. Yes. Well, and, <laughs> and, and you know that that's... Dressed as well. Yes. It's, it's, it's a, a quite an enlightening moment for people when they realize that. I, I Living here in the U.S., uh, I'm, I'm very spoiled, and you too in, in, in the U.K., where you can easily go to theater. And um, I grew up in New Jersey, so I used to go to New York to the theater all the time. And uh, I try to go as often as I can now. And I did see Avenue Q on Broadway. Uh, and that song is so true when you just listen to it. Because as I refer to unconscious bias, we all have it. We all are uh, have racist thoughts, sexist thoughts, maybe homophobic thoughts. The key is, number one, recognizing that we have them and everybody has them. So it's not us and them, it's everybody. Mm. They, their thoughts may be different ones, you know, like your biases may be different than my biases, but we all have biases. Once we accept that about ourselves, we are at that moment becoming more aware. So that moment when you realized, oh my goodness, listening to that song, I might have some racism in me somehow. Now you're aware. So when a racist thought or a, or a um, sexist thought comes up, then you can choose how you're going to respond instead of having that thought come up and immediately reacting to it. Mm -hmm. And that's where the learning happens. That's where I spend a good deal of my time uh, in, in workshops, helping people experientially without having to embarrass themselves or you know, bear their souls, uh, having their creating opportunities where those light bulbs can come on for them because the, that moment of awareness enables you to have choice and then respond appropriately. I want us to move on because we've not got long left in terms of time now. And uh, just quickly, maybe you can share with us um, the best way to deal with people globally because today we're just so, so much access to, to everybody through the internet. And we're talking, doing this interview now um, across uh, you know, each side of the Atlantic. 
Now, how do you how do you deal with it? Yes, yes. It, delve into it. Just learn as much as you can. Um, having calls like this, uh, one of my one of my responsibilities as the Global Speakers Federation president is is I lead the executive committee uh, meet, meetings every month, and we meet using technology. And so we've got seven different variations of English you know, seven different accents of English, and we cover four continents right now because of the, the people that are involved, at which I just, I just love. And so when we get outside of our own comfort zone and surround ourselves with people different than, than us, and you, you don't have to necessarily go to another country. You can walk around in your own country or go to different parts of your own country or your own community where there are people who are different than you and be around them so you can learn from them. But very quickly, what we can do do kind of from an academic perspective, when we want to learn a, a, about a culture different than ours, and culture is really broad, so culture could be millennials, for instance. Um, but when we want to learn about a culture, we want to learn their language. We might not necessarily learn how to speak at all, but our values are embedded in our language. We want to look at the art of that culture, both music as well as fine art, because it tells a story, and also music. So part of that is art. We want to look at the foods that are typically eaten of that culture because ethnic food has stories, has a reason why. And we want to look, uh, when it is ethnic differences, we want to look at the predominant religion because all of those things help us understand that particular culture. And then when we're face-to-face with someone different than us, don't assume that they're everything you just learned. Be more focused on things like um, physical distance, how, you know, how, how close or far away is comfortable within that culture. Um, the uh, the um, attitude toward group versus individual. We can look at all of those kinds of things. But my point, but with Google and with the internet, you can learn so many things, but that's in your head. So you have to go a step beyond just what you learned book-wise and really surround yourself with people who are different than you are and be willing to ask questions. Know that they're not always going to answer them. Everybody is not going to want to talk about where their origin, uh, what their origins are, but many people are, and it shows interest in the individual. So be willing to do that. It's, <clears throat> I, I recently wrote a book with uh, with somebody in Minnesota, and we we, um, it, we turned in. It became a, a little bit of a joke between us because what we hadn't appreciated before until we started and, and had spent some time working on the book that actually um, the statement that you know British and Americans are two you know two countries divided by a common language was actually true. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, you know, definitely. This meant very different things, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, and the ways. You, uh, they could be interpreted in the different countries, but uh, what we did is we made a joke out of it, uh, and we we started to laugh about it. And um, you know, each time we hit a problem, uh, we, we we you know we laughed about it and uh, enjoyed learning about the other's perspective. Yes, and, instead of negative uh, negativity and and uh, judgment and criticizing, that's the way to go. So I'm interested about correct terms because I've you know a number of times people. People have, um, you know, got into trouble by calling, uh, referring to a group of people as something, um, mm-hmm. when, you know, actually that was quite offensive to uh, to, you know, an, another group. I wonder, are there some correct terms that we should use? Well, there there are lots of them, and uh, here's what I'll say um, right from the top, and that is, 
we're never going to get it totally right because the terms change and the terms when they're related to uh, an ethnic group, for instance, uh, those terms change because people within the group have decided what they want to be called. And so instead of getting, oh, why don't we in, in the U.S., what we hear all the time is, well, why don't we just call everybody Americans? Well, the fact of the matter is, if you close your eyes, if you're an American uh, and you close your eyes and I say picture an all American boy. Still in 2015, most people will see a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white boy. Well, until when we close our eyes and I say, picture an all-American boy, until we picture a rainbow of people, you know, where I get lots of different answers, then, then we need to be understanding of people who want to be identified more specifically. So in this case, African-American um, brings pride now, or black may bring pride. Now, and that's why I'm saying we won't always get it right, though, because some black people prefer to be called black, some, some prefer to be called African-American, and there are reasons behind all of that. Now, the, the latest appropriate term is Latino rather than uh, Hispanic. So if you're a leader and you need to use terms, then use several. So in the U.S., you would say African-American one time and then say black another time. Um, if uh, with with women, if you're talking to a woman, uh, you know, or anybody for that matter, it's better to use their name. Question, right? Yeah. So, so it's better to use their name. Um, but if you have to use a general term, ask the people around you what they prefer. They won't always get it right for everybody, but at least it looks like you're asking. I've got, I've got about one minute for a final message, what you'd like to leave us with. Well, the final message is this. We are all human beings and we're all at the same time a culture of one, each of us a culture of one. If we can recognize that we're on this planet together and the more that we are willing to understand others, the better it makes it for all of us. Another way of saying that is a proverb, Ubuntu. I, I am because you are you are because I am. Wonderful. Lenore, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for being on today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I think there's you know, lots of real nuggets uh, to take away from that. And I think uh, you know, challenging your unconscious biases, I think, is something really important. And make sure, you know, are there any of those unconscious biases that you've convinced yourself to be true? Um, I shall certainly be going away reflecting on that. So um, really thought-provoking stuff. To find out more or connect with Lenora, go to www.ubuntuglobal.com. That's U-B-U-N-T-U global.com. Um, if you struggle to find that, look at the blog at chriscooper.co.uk on Lenora and uh, all the details will be in there and the contact details and everything as well. If you've got any questions or feedback, do send them to me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. And on next week's show, we have uh, Patricia Fripp. Um, Patricia Fripp is also a former National um, Speaking Association president. Uh, she's a, a, an absolutely fabulous um, and an exceptional individual. She's going to talk about sales presentations. Um, so another wonderful guest for you, um, like uh, Lenora, um, next week. So do join us again, and uh, have a great week. Thank you for listening to Be More, Achieve More. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, typically 4 p.m. London on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your week. Enjoy your week.